Hey there, and welcome to Watering Seeds, a podcast ministry of Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church in Asheville, North Carolina, where we seek to discuss and apply our most recent Lord's Day morning sermon. This time we will be discussing Pastor Jim Curtis's sermon, Not Quite Happily Ever After, from Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, which you can access from covenantreform.net slash sermons, or you can search for us on sermonaudio.com at Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church, Asheville. Just like last time, this is Wilson Goins, the pastoral intern here at the church with our assistant pastor, Jim Curtis. How are you today, Jim? Doing well, Wilson. Just want to say, as the kids would say, that intro slaps, my friend. Why, thank you, Thanks sir. For, Your sermon slapped, Pastor Jim. I wouldn't say that, but <clears throat> we are confusing all of our middle-aged and older listeners, Wilson. Why don't you tell them? What slaps means. Slaps means, uh, this is a hard word to define because I think it just speaks for itself. But uh, slaps means that the sermon was excellent, Mm -hmm. as you might say. Yeah, I don't think that it's that obvious, mainly because... uh, you know, if I walked over in the room and slapped somebody, that's sure, not a good thing. Sure, but You mean that it's a good thing. It's like, I mean it's like knee, it's a knee, really it's almost like uh, it's knee slapping good, you know, like there you just, you just, uh, there it is. you know, you take a bite of a good cheeseburger, like a, like a farm burger, for instance, mm. or, or five guys, something of the sort, Colors. and you just want to slap your knee. Yes, Culver's for some of our listeners. We have very opinionated burger eaters around here. We do. We do. Uh, so yes, it is. It is like eating a, a good cheeseburger and slapping your knee. That is what that that sermon was like. It was filling. Well, that's the uh, current cultural climate, Wilson. But I don't. <clears throat> I don't think this podcast should go down that route because we may get in trouble. Uh, so talk to me, brother. Talk to me about this last Sunday. All right. Yes, Pastor Jim. So in your sermon, uh, you mentioned that the story of Esther is nothing like a Disney fairy tale, right? People have chalked it up to be such, but it's not. Uh, And you encouraged us to trust God, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And these same times, similar to to Esther, where we might feel as if God is absent, and there's, there's no rescue story or fairy tale ending that's necessarily happening. So perhaps, Pastor Jim, we have some listeners who... Uh, in their workplace, they feel as if God is absent, that they're working in a secular environment, and they're having to deal with um, a poor boss, or maybe they've been criticized unjustly, um, and they're having to, to stomach this injustice. Hmm. So, Pastor Jim, how do we uh, live in a, in a world where there is a lot of injustice? It's a good question. That's a question that's going to come up over and over and over again throughout the book of Esther. So we will continue to come at this. I even, I think two sermons ago, I brought this up. How can you be a faithful Christian, right? And yet a good, you know, citizen of your society. I think that question is a question that the church has had to wrestle with and answer for a long time. And I think the book of Esther generally is overlooked in its help in answering that question. So, Specifically, as we we consider Esther's the beginning of Esther's story, really in chapter two of Esther, uh, I, I mentioned that you know she there was tragedy in her her life. She was a manipulated and exploited young woman, mm-hmm. uh, and as as you know, we evaluate Esther's answer to the question. 
we see that it, it differs significantly, I think, from the book of, for example, Daniel. I, I, I did this in the sermon, right, where I compared mm-hmm. Daniel and Esther. And I think what that tells us is that the, the Bible elsewhere tells us that the, the answer to injustice, the answer to this sort of oppression that we see, the answer to tragedy isn't always the same. There's no sort of cookie cutter, black and white answered it. I've answered it once this way, so I'm going to answer it that way again. Mm-hmm. No, instead, <clears throat> what the Bible tells us is that that there is such thing as situational wisdom. There's situational, contextual wisdom. And so sometimes when we face injustice, sometimes when, you know, if it's our employer, whomever it is, when we face that injustice, I think what we can experience is an immediate sort of desire to lash out. That would be my response normally. Mm-hmm. Uh, though, <clears throat> um, you know, we can get into a lot of that. So the 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 book of Esther tells us that it is a legitimate response to remain quiet. It's a legitimate response uh, to not say anything and to uh, allow the Lord to take his vengeance upon your oppressors later. Uh, and he certainly will do that. We're going to see the sovereign justice of God poured out uh, in Esther's story. Um, we also know, you know, Xerxes, uh, there's no record of him coming to know the Lord through his wife, Esther. Mm-hmm. Uh, presumably he continued to practice uh, unfaithfulness to his creator the rest of his life. And so we can talk about ultimate justice being done, not by me, not by you, right? At the same time, we can go to the book of Daniel, and we can see in the book of Daniel that sometimes there, the, the response to injustice can be to take a stand, to, to stand up and to say, no, mm-hmm. uh, this is an unjust thing, and to allow whatever may come in the course of those events. The, the primary problem we have is that most people want to know, well, just give me one answer, and let me apply that every time. That's mm-hmm. the easy way. Right. We all want that, don't we? We all we do. I mean, we want a three on some step plan or exactly something. On, on on some level, we want the Bible to be okay, maybe ninety percent shorter, and we want the contents of the Bible to be do this when this happens, do this when that happens, do this when this happens, do that when that happens. Mm-hmm. The Bible's not like that. Uh, the Bible allows uh, for grace, praise God, right? Mm-hmm. Allows Amen. for mercy. Uh, so if the Bible was like that, you know, if I could mention just our, our evening series, when we went in Second Samuel and saw David sin with Bathsheba, well, David needed to die. Mm. That that was a capital crime he committed mm. uh, in in both his adultery and in his murder of Uriah. <clears throat> and him being king doesn't get him out of that. Uh, but God, as the ultimate judge, can show mercy, right? Mm. So in that instance, David doesn't want the Bible to be a do this when this happens, do that when that happens, do this when this happens, do that when that happens. He wants it in that moment to be, Lord, have mercy. Right. And so many of us actually want that when sort of the the tables are flipped and turned on us, when we're the ones doing the injustice, when we're the ones uh, engaging in rebellion. So that's sort of a long way to answer your question. Uh, uh, So I, I might sum it up by saying, yeah, what the book of Esther is trying to teach us is that sometimes it's okay to be quiet. And to take it. Hmm. Super hard. Super difficult. Uh, but what we know and what we trust 
is that God will ultimately have the final say. Mm. Uh, and we don't know if that's explicitly why Esther did what she did. We, you know, the text doesn't really tell us a whole lot about Esther. I made that point, right? That Esther doesn't really speak a lot. But what we do know, and I think what we're going to see, is faithfulness, covenant faithfulness uh, on behalf of Esther and Mordecai mm. uh, later in the book. Mm. Um, as a matter of fact, we're going to see it in, in our next sermon, our upcoming sermon, because uh, Haman's going to show up and we're going to start seeing the problem. And we're going we're gonna to make some connections back to some ancient Israelite issues. So uh, I believe that ultimately Esther remains quiet and then when she, it's necessary for her to speak, she does. And we're going to see that later in the book too. Mm. Mm. So sometimes I, you can be quiet. Sometimes you can take it, right? Sometimes you shouldn't. Sometimes you should stand up. When is that going to happen? I don't know. Come talk to us about it. There, there may be a, a question about that in, in a little bit. Let's Pastor do Jim. We'll, we might. We will wait then. I yeah, we, we might uh, blindside you with that one. But I think uh, going off what we were just talking about, the prophets are an encouraging place, I think, for people to go um, dealing with injustice because the prophets are concerned with um, biblical justice, which we may talk about in a few minutes. But, um, you know, you see Jeremiah, who it takes... Is it 40 years but for his prophecy to come true? He's known as the weeping, the weeping prophet. He's um, suffering, um, but it was all, all for God's good purpose. And I think our people can be encouraged by that. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think uh, the other thing that we see in the prophets is uh, uh, the prophets turn the justice back around on God's people. Mm. Right? It's not just you know, uh, prophecy against God's enemies. Right. That's there. That's absolutely true. But God is just as willing to call out his own people, if not more willing, really, mm. to call out the evil and the wickedness of his own people, the injustice of his own people. And and it's, it's a true blessing, really, that God would chasten us out of his love to bring us back into his fold. Um, and, you know, you see the, the wicked almost prospering, you know, such as Xerxes um, continuing to go on, not bring, being brought to repentance. Um, but you talked about David. You know, David is brought to repentance. He's stirred to, to new obedience. Um, it's a true blessing that God calls us out on our injustice. And it's almost, um, it's almost the wrath on the wicked that he doesn't chasten them sometimes because they continue to be more wicked. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it reminds me of Psalm 74, right? Why, why do the wicked prosper? Mm. Uh, and, and at the same time, uh, it, it begins uh, with, uh, oh God, why do you cast us off mm. forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? And so it seems in that moment, uh, you know, verse four, your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. Uh, so why are they prospering uh, and God's uh, God's people suffering? You know, if God's the one who's supposed to bring the justice. Uh, so this isn't a, a new problem that we're going to that we are dealing with as Christians. It's not a unique problem to Esther. Uh, it's not a unique problem to the, the, the author. Uh, I think it's Asaph of Psalm 74. Right. Uh, this is a common problem. Mm. Uh, among God's people throughout time. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, Pastor Jim, you also did a really good job in your sermon showing how Esther, Queen Esther, was exploited by her husband Xerxes. And, yeah. I, and I, for one, had not really heard this preached that way, and I had not 
even read it that way. It's clearly in the text. You did a good job bringing that out. Um, so my question for you, Pastor Jim, is how is Xerxes as an exploiting king mm. different from Jesus Christ mm. as king? Yeah, yeah, I. that's a great question. Um, there's a million, million ways, but one way I, I wish I had said in the sermon, honestly, is that, you know, we sang "Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus" mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the service, and and that was intentional because w- one of the things that I hope that a con- the congregation picked up, and I'll, I'll just say it explicitly now, is that that we can trust King Jesus because King Xerxes was just exploiting people, right? I mean, even the uh, it drives me crazy. The movie that they came out with in the early two thousands about the biblical story of Esther was called "One Night with the King." Mm. And that's not a good, like, it's like sort of this romance story. It drives me crazy. One Night with the King would have been terrifying. I mean, mm. absolutely terrifying. Mm. You know, if you if you disappointed him during that one night, you go to the second harem, you may not ever be seen again, mm. right? Um, and, and thankfully, in God's providence, Esther, right, doesn't suffer that. But what about all the other women? I mean, you think about it. Uh, uh, I said that this would have taken years. I mean, this was hundreds of women, hundreds of women. Um, and so what happened to them, right? And that's tragic. That is mm. truly tragic. Um, and, and so here's the difference that I hope our folks saw between that king, a king who's concerned, as we've seen, with his own appetite, with his own pleasure, with whatever brings him the most you know, satisfaction in the flesh, right? We have a king in Christ uh, who is not concerned with the passions of the flesh, who is not ruled by his appetite, who goes 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and subdues his own appetite and rejects the temptation to turn the stone into bread. And that's the king who has it all, who isn't just over 127 provinces like King Xerxes, but who is over all of creation, who is the God who owns cattle on a thousand hills, who is the God who owns everything. I mean, that's what the psalm is saying, right? who is the God who does these things and owns these things, and he comes to earth, and what does he do over and over and over and over again in his ministry? He denies himself mm. again and again and again. He, uh, you know, Philippians 2, right? He gave up the riches of heaven, right? He emptied himself uh, uh, um, and uh, of his station, of his power, right? Um uh, I don't mean like the om- omnipotence power, but right, I mean like right. this sort of the kingly power, right? Like ruling with an, a rod of iron, right? We know he's doing that now. Mm-hmm. We know that he's, but he came not as a king, right? He says it himself. He came not to be served, but to serve, mm. right? Think about that. King Xerxes is not a king who would come to serve instead of being served. Right? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, so what I hope people can see is that the, the earth produces kings like Xerxes over and over and over again. People who want to be served. People who want you to bow down to them. Who want you to address them. Who want you to sort of be in their favor. We've seen this all throughout history, right? Mm. Huge historical dramas have been written about people who have favor with the king, fall out of favor with the king, and their life is ruined, right? Mm. Unless they're ever invited back into his presence. Uh, Jesus is not that way. Jesus makes a way to come into his presence and gives us favor with God, mm. right? Jesus is the exact opposite of this. And so, you know, um, people who've been exploited and manipulated, uh, people who have suffered tragedy, um, whether, you know, it's at the hands of people in this life or it's just the normal 
course of a broken world because of sin, right? Uh, uh, these people can trust in Christ because he is truly a good king. He is a king unlike King Xerxes. He's a king unlike the kings that this earth produces. He's a king who gives generously and abundantly rather than taking what he wants. Right? We saw that with King David. He took Bathsheba, hmm. right? That's what right. he did. Uh, he took the little ewe lamb, right? That's what Nathan says in the next chapter. Uh, Jesus is not a king like David, even. He's better than David. He doesn't take. He gives. So I appreciate you asking that question because I want us to see that most of all, that, that Jesus is just manifestly unlike this. And it's, this is the, the reason why I think this is so important. This answer is going on way too long, but I, I just have to say this. The reason this, isn't so, this is so important is because you come across these things, like the kingship of Christ in the New Testament. You come across the fatherhood of God in Ephesians 1, right? These sort of different things. And people who don't have good experiences, like Esther with King Xerxes, right? Or all these other women, like can you imagine trying to, preach the gospel oh yeah, yeah yeah he's a good king right it's like well i have experience with a king and it wasn't good right my father was abusive mm-hmm. right so whatever sure. people could say that and they do say that yeah and they struggle they genuinely struggle with these aspects that god has called our father mm. right and and that's not an illegitimate struggle what it is is Someone has come in and taken on that title, Father, right, and misused it and abused it, rather sure. than reflecting sure. God's, you know, principles of fatherhood, right? Right, and e- even when we, you know, when we think of kings, especially as Americans, we can't relate with a king exactly in any way. We think but, of King George, right? Or right, the, exactly. The tyrant, yeah, we don't right? yeah. we don't like kings because they live their high life and mm-hmm. we live our low life. But right. Jesus Christ is the one who became man. Mm-hmm who walked among us and was without sin, who's been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. How encouraging is that, that the king himself has walked with us? You know, you, you brought up King David. He's at home in the palace uh, when uh, the couch. soldiers are at, Yeah, exactly, yeah. when the soldiers are at war. Well, King Jesus is the one leading his army. Yep, that's right. That's exactly right. And so... The reason it's important is that we need to go back to these categories, right? If you had an abusive father, if you had, you know, a bad experience with a king, if you, if whatever title it is of God, okay, that, sure. that, that, that we struggle with, we need to go back. And what we need to do is we need to say that that person failed in that way. But God is not a God who fails in that way, mm. right? So uh, I like to tell people, right? Uh, if they had an abusive father, if they had an absent father, if they're like me, their father died, and they never got to know their father, right? I like to tell them that God is the father we should have had. Mm. And he is the father that we can have in Christ. And so God is not like, you know, the father who wasn't there, the father who abused you. He's not like King Xerxes who exploited and abused and manipulated, right? And all these different things. He is manifestly good. He is goodness itself, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, his fatherhood needs to shape and define, you know, uh, uh, how you understand uh, your your own dads, right? right? His kingship is how we need to understand King Xerxes' kingship rather than applying the kingship backwards the other way, right? Or fatherhood backwards into God, mm. right? And I think we're prone to do that. And I understand why we do that. But we need that slight orientation because then we can truly see how good Jesus is. Mm. Right. In all these different ways. Mm, Absolutely. 
So we mentioned that we were going to speak about biblical justice because there was there was so much in your sermon about injustice. You know, you had three points. The, the first was tragedy, mm-hmm. second manipulation, and third exploitation. You know, you see all of this happen to Esther. So today in a culture which is concerned with justice, it's not necessarily biblical justice that they're concerned with, but if this happened today... Uh, the, the culture would be outraged, you know, that's true. Um, so how is biblical justice different from this modern idea of justice, and when should we stand up for it, Pastor Jim? Yeah, I'm going to answer that in the reverse. When, uh, totally contextual. Okay. Right, we, we talked about that earlier, right. and, and I appreciate you bringing that up back up because— it's important to understand that the rest of my answer, which is by no means comprehensive, is is going to point toward um, uh, toward that reality. So, you know, I don't have a, a guidebook on exactly when to apply it. Sure. Um, but you know, when I when I look at the scriptures and I I read about justice, there's a few different things that 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 hit me. First, I'm not responsible for all justice as an individual person, as an individual Christian. Correct. I'm not responsible. Uh, uh, you know, for um, pursuing all uh, areas of justice. And, and and I say that, not to say that I shouldn't be concerned with it, right? That's different. I'm responsible to pray for it. I'm responsible to, to go to God. Correct. But there are areas that God alone, that God alone as judge can speak to and can judge, okay? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I just want to start there, Okay. There are things in 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 God's realm uh, as ju- as ultimate judge and final arbiter of all things that I can't touch and that we as individuals can't touch. Right? The Bible teaches us this all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I shall repay. Right? Correct. Um, okay. So, right, the life of Jesus teaches us this. Right. Uh, the greatest injustice known to mankind was the sham trial beating of Christ, the death of Christ, the execution of Christ, right? Greatest injustice in all the world, because if there was anyone ever who didn't deserve anything that happened to him, any of the misery, any of this, it's Christ, Mm. right? What did he do? He was quiet, okay? He allowed the Father's will to unravel, uh, not unravel, um, unfold, right? Um, Now, that's redemptive, okay? Uh, Only Jesus can do that. Right. All right? But his silence can apply in our lives, uh, and that is he trusted the Father to do what the Father does, right? And so we need to do that too. On the other hand, there are injustices in the world that I am responsible for, okay? So um, just a few different areas. God has, in his providence, called me to be a husband and a father, right? Uh, If I'm an unjust husband or father, right, Uh, then there's a problem, okay? Mm -hmm. So I need to pursue justice in my own family life, I need to pursue, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, love and kindness in that way. A lot of people don't think justice in the home, right? Uh, right. We, we think of like kids, oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. And that's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is um, uh, uh, ensuring, right, that uh, um, uh, the bills get paid, right? You signed right. the, I mean, you signed the agreement for your internet contract or whatever, right? You signed the the agreement for these bills. We don't think of it in those terms, but we should, right? The other way, of course, is relationally, 
right? It would be manifestly unjust for me to go home uh, and, I don't know, um, uh, 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 continue to work, right? That would be manifestly unjust to my family, right? Uh, uh, Because when I come home, I need to be at home. I need to be a dad. I need to be a husband, right? Um, That's not to say like things can't come up, blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying generally, right? That would be an unjust approach to my family, okay? Um, God in his providence has called me and others here at Covenant Reform to be elders, right? Uh, So, you know, we need to ensure that the way that uh, uh, um, we lead the sheep of God here at Covenant Reformed, here in Highlands Presbytery and in the PCA, just in the jurisdictions, right, that we have Mm -hmm. in our church courts, we need to ensure that we do that right, not heavy-handed, Right, we need to do that in a, uh, um, a manner that becomes uh, 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 the gospel, right? Right. And so, right. Again, most commonly, right, we're going to apply that to what church discipline. Mm-hmm. We definitely need. We definitely need to be just. We need to be. You know, if you get put on a judicial commission, something like that, you need to approach it as neutrally as possible, right? And all these different things. If you have to recuse yourself, right, we can go through that whole list. That's you know, everybody knows all that. Let me talk about pursuing right the the justice of, uh, as the leaders of, of God's people in the local church context outside of church discipline uh, or on, on the other side of church discipline is in discipleship right if I'm not if I'm not discipling God's people if I'm not meeting with people if I'm not you know pursuing them and I'm, if I'm not ministering to them that's treating them unjustly right right uh, they've elected uh, elders right and if the elders don't do what they're supposed to do that's an unjust treatment of God's people. Okay, uh, I thank God that our elders do a great job here. Let me just say that. Um, and then in society, right? And I think that's really what you're asking. Uh, sure. Uh, 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 you know, we we hear all the time about social justice. We hear about these different things. Okay. Um, and I, and I, I don't want to get super political here, but what I want to say is that that there are areas that God has called the civil magistrate right. to be the arbiter of justice. It's not my responsibility as a Christian to pursue justice in that sense. Right. It is my responsibility as a faithful Christian and a citizen of the United States to report wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, uh, you know, if I see someone attacking somebody, right, I should do what I can to make sure that my family is safe and intervene. Right. I mean, right. we can go through all these different right. examples. We're not, we're, so in other words, what you're saying is we're not called to be vigilantes Correct. because God has... No given, Batman's here. Right. Yeah. Exactly. No Batman's God here. has given the power of the sword Correct. to the civil magistrate. Right. And that gets that gets to a, a really important and healthy distinction that we make uh, uh, in the church, right? The, the, the church has what's called ministerial authority, okay? What that means is that I minister... I take what's been written and I present it. I minister that to the people. Okay. So I take what God said and I give the people what God says. Mm-hmm. The civil magistrate, okay, or the, 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 the civil government, sure, has magisterial authority. Okay. Mm-hmm. So th- this is a very important distinction that the Westminster Divines were, were careful to make and, and I think our BCO is careful to make. Okay. They have, as you just said, the power of the sword. They have the ability to criminally prosecute, right? We can't do that in the church, right? okay? Uh, we can't make laws in the church and then prosecute you for them, okay? We can only minister what we have been given. So 
you know, if you violate God's law, God in his word has given us a process of church discipline to handle that. Okay. So going back to society, how do I be a good Christian and a faithful uh, uh, citizen? Um, I had that backwards. Faithful Christian and good citizen. Mm -hmm. Okay. How do I do that? Well, I think we have to take all of the morality and the the um, uh, uh, moral principles of the Bible, okay, and we have to we have to apply them, right? So this is where okay. your Westminster Larger Catechism can be very helpful, okay? Uh, just for our listeners, go and read the the Larger Catechism on the Ten Commandments, and I think you'll be surprised at how the uh, the divines apply these Ten Commandments and how many instances those Ten Commandments are applicable in, right? So uh, 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 apply it to something in society, right? Society wants justice for something that happened 150 years ago, right? 200 years ago, mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Uh, uh, you know, we should cooperate with the authorities insofar as we can, right? But at the same time, we need to recognize that as we pursue justice, uh, we are pursuing the people, the people, these are real people, who have committed the the un, uh, the injustice itself, right? Correct. So it's not fair, it's not fair for somebody to come after me for a crime I didn't commit, right? Right, absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm not really sure how we got off on this huge long tangent on justice, but uh, uh, to go, to, you know, apply it to the book of Esther, um, uh, King Xerxes committed the injustice, but there's nobody to call him to account, hmm. right? Um, for them to apply, you know, that to anybody else in the empire would be wrong, hmm. okay? Um, maybe people who enabled him, maybe people who turned a blind eye. Yeah, they're culpable of, you know, turning a blind eye and all that different stuff. Mm-hmm. So who judges King Xerxes? Esther? Mordecai? No. God does. Right. right? And God will. Right. Yeah. And that's so that's what we need to understand about justice, right? Is that again, God calls us to our own uh um um places that he's called us to, right? That the areas of our life that we have control over, uh, not control, sorry, that we have responsibility over. Right, that that we that we are in constantly. Those are the spheres, right, where we can pursue that stuff. Yeah. Can we advocate for stuff in society? Can we, you know, uh, uh, exercise constitutional rights? Blah blah blah. Sure. Okay. Now I'm I'm sort of outside the realm of the Book of Esther. I'm outside the realm of, you know, my role as a pastor here. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> Talk to a <the> lawyer. <laughs> All right. I don't know if that's helpful, man. That's kind of a ramble. Sorry about that. It's very good. Very good. Very applicable, Pastor Jim. All right, so uh, there's a common theme throughout the book of Esther, which is, I think, the providence of God, that you can see God's hand throughout the book of Esther, though he's not explicitly mentioned in the book. Mm -hmm. So we already talked about people suffering, especially from, you know, injustice or things like that. Um, But how can people look for the providence of God in their own lives and also, um, what things or, or means, we might say, has God given us to encourage us? Uh, and, and, you know, these are things we can see, if that makes any sense. What has what God given? Mm-hmm. Well, first thing he's given to us is his word, okay? And what his word is telling us, and I, I, I'll make this point over and over and over again. And we actually haven't even gotten to the strongest instance of God's sovereignty yet in the book. So I'm excited to get there. I mean, so Esther is read at the the Feast of Purim um, uh, every year. 
And what that is, is uh, uh, it's the word for lots. You know, the casted lots. Mm-hmm. We're going to see Haman cast lots. Okay. Um, and uh, God is sovereign even over the lot. Right. I mean, that's why the, the apostles in the book of Acts cast lots to replace Judas. Because mm-hmm. right? they know God uh, is sovereign over them. Right, sovereign, uh, and of course, the biggest example in the Old Testament is the, the mysterious umim and thumim that seem to function as lots. Right, mm-hmm. they cast them and stuff like that. So, uh, uh, you know, as we as we get deeper in the book, this is going to come up over and over and over again. But uh, in terms of how do we see God's providence? Right, first we see it in His Word. Okay, we see uh, that God's told us that He is sovereign over every moment of our lives. So it starts with that faith. It starts with even if I can't see it, I know it's there. I know it's there. I believe that it's there. I believe God's told me the truth, okay? So we have to start there. The second thing is the testimony of the believers around us, right? So often, I think we neglect this aspect about fellowship of the saints. We think, um, you know, I go to church to be fed. Sure, I hope so, right? I hope I'm feeding the sheep, right? That's how, you know, those are the terms the Bible uses. But I hope you go to church for more than that, right? Mm. I hope you go to the church to encourage other believers, right? What's interesting is, uh, I think Tim Challey's uh, pointed this out once, and this, that's the first time I've, I've realized it is, you know, that famous verse in Hebrews 10, don't neglect the meeting uh, mm-hmm. uh, with one yeah. another, mm-hmm. as is the habit of some, but encourage one another more and more as you see the day drawing near. What's so fascinating is uh, that command is actually more concerned. It's more concerned with your neighbor than it is the vert, what we call the vertical dimension, right? So that's way less about you being fed and way more about the fact that when you show up, when you come into the fellowship of the saints, when you come and meet the people of God uh, uh, and fellowship with them, primarily, of course, in corporate worship, but then, mm-hmm. you know, through these other ministries that we do here at Covenant Reformed, as you do that, you're encouraging other people. So how do I see the providence of God? I think it's way easier for me to see the providence of God in the Goins life, right? Mm. Uh, because you come to me and you tell me what's going on in your life, mm. right? Uh, I think it's probably easier for you to see it happening in my life than it is sure, your own. Is sure. that fair? Uh, yeah, very uh, fair. And so then you sort of multiply that by 100 people. You know, if I'm in a room of 100 people and those 100 people are talking to me, I see the providence of God in those 100 people's lives that they may not be able to see. Right. So what has God given to us? First, I think he's given us his word. Secondly, I think he's given us the community of the saints. And then finally, I think he's given us uh, the benefit of prayer. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um uh, I think that he uh, allows us to go to him and to pray for specific things. And then what do we see so often? Uh, uh, and and uh, tragically, I think it goes unresponded to very often, at least in my own life and in uh, the lives of, of many others that I've seen. He answers prayer, mm. doesn't he? He does. I mean, absolutely. we see answered prayer all the time. And, and so he uses prayer as a, or excuse me, yeah, he uses prayer as a means to uh, pursue his providence, right? He yeah. wants us to pray for things. James right. tells us you do not have because you do not ask, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you know what I'm going to ask for? I'm going to ask for everything. I'm going to ask for everything times a million. Yeah. Right. And James even says, you know, he, he says, ask God for wisdom because God gives it generously mm-hmm. without reproach. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're in these times of suffering mm-hmm. and we, we need help navigating, we ask God for yeah. wisdom. Yeah, and we saw this uh, attitude, I think, in, in King David uh, the other night in our evening sermon, uh, where his response to his servants, right? The child dies as a result of his sin, as a consequence of his sin, excuse me. And uh, his servants are like, whoa, 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 why did you like mourn and fast and stuff when the child was alive? And now that the child's dead, like you're fine. 
And he says, well, while the child was alive, who knows? Hmm. I prayed because who knows? God could have poured out even more grace, right? And we talked about how, you know, David knew the character of God, the nature of God, the essence of God is graciousness, Mm. right? And so what did he ask for? He asked for everything. He asked for the life of his child that he was explicitly told was going to die by the Lord himself through his prophet, Mm -hmm. right? And that didn't stop David from asking. Right. Pleading, fasting. He had seen God answer prayer in his life before. And I think each of us... You know, if we've been praying long enough, we've seen answered prayer. God does not uh, answer prayer necessarily right when we ask of course, for it. Of course. But he does answer prayer. Yeah. And if any of us have been praying for an extended period of time, we've seen God answer those prayers and can be uh, encouraged that he will do it again, that mm-hmm. he is faithful. That's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, we can point to... Right. Things in my own life. Um, generally, you don't see the providence of God until later. But I mean, you consider, for example, Madeline and I, we were praying long and hard about, you know, the Lord providing for us uh, a call mm. in ministry. Um, and sure enough, it came Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church. Uh, and I mean, I, I'm looking back. I didn't think that I was going to find another position like I thought for sure. You know, God kept saying, no, 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 no. And I'm just like, okay, you know, I, I'm, I'm about to give up, honestly. Mm. He answers prayer, and all of a sudden it's like, well, yeah. I mean, the reason he said no to those five other things is because I hadn't even heard of covenant reformed yet, mm. right? Well, there's the providence of God to bring mm. me here. Praise right? God. And it's been, I, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed it. Maybe people don't want me much longer, but no, I think it's incredible to, to be here. Um, I think tons of people have stories like that. So, so working backwards... Right, that's 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 prayer in our own life. Tons of people have have stories about answered prayer in their lives. That takes us to the community of the saints and how are they collectively encouraged about the providence of God? It comes from the Word of God, right? Mm. So we need those three things. Absolutely. Okay? And what's interesting is those three things are conveniently a few of the means of God's grace, mm. right? The means by which He shows us His grace. That's the providential means that He uses to show us who He is and how much He loves us. Uh, and and you know, go walk through salvation, right? How He sanctifies us and everything else. So, how do we see pr- God's providence, brother? I, I I really think it's through the means of grace. I think it's through those particular things, and I don't think that we should sort of dismiss that, uh, absolutely, uh, or even just think about them as sort of in a rote way. Well, like, yeah, of course I got to go to church. Yeah, of course it's the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I study the Bible sometimes. Oh, yeah, prayer. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course it's prayer. No, no, no. These are meaningful, impactful, you know, um, deep things that God tangibly uses in the life of his people. So let's pursue those things. Right. They're the very things that God has appointed That's right. for the That's building right. up of his body. That's exactly right. And if we can't be surprised if we're um, suffering, uh, you know, if we're suffering, if we're not being nourished, if we're not eating, you know, supping with the things that he's given us. Right. Well, that's all I got today, man. You got anything else? That's all. Thank you, Pastor Jim. Hey, thank you, brother. Until next time, which is not going to be next week, because next week we're both gone. I'm on vacation, and you will be down in Atlanta visiting some family, uh, which we'll be in prayer for, of course. Thank you. Uh, And I hope you have a good trip. Yes, sir. You too. All right. Bye.